Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. It's in here somewhere. This is Richard KB5JBV, and you have finally found the proper proper st- uh, the program for your all your Linux and amateur radio needs. Welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. But I'm not the only one that's here. We got a whole bunch of people. There's people hiding in the background behind stuff up in Canada, all kinds of places, and we're all here. But the one I want to introduce you to is Russ, the uh, boss of this show, co-host extraordinaire. And really nice guy up there in the booby mountains of Arkansas. I probably shouldn't have said that since we got a guest from out of town on tonight, but that's okay. Up in the, in the, oh, good Lord. Up in the, in the mountains of Northern Arkansas, Russ, K5TUX. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Well, hello, everybody. It's a good evening up here in North Central Arkansas. I know Richard's raring to go. I'm raring to go. We have one killer program for episode number 85 of Linux in the ham shack. And I know this evening is going to be interesting for me because we got an accent from North Texas. We've got an accent from South Australia and I'm going to be lost somewhere in the middle. So do you want to do the intros or you want to let me do it? Oh, you can go ahead and do the intros. And the fact of the matter is that, uh, I know if y'all listen to all the episodes, you'll hear that Russ's accent has gotten more like mine than mine has gotten more like his. So take it away, Russ. All right. Well, tonight we have a very special interview with David Rowe, who is a guy who is an amazingly brilliant man from Adelaide in South Australia, who has done all kinds of stuff. If you go to his website, rotel.com, that's Romeo Oscar Whiskey Echo, Tango Echolima.com. You can see all the things that he's a part of. I heard his mic just kick on, so I guess we'll inter- introduce him and uh, let him say hello. Uh, good evening, David. How are, well, actually, good uh, morning for you. How are you? Yes, only just good morning. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, no problem at all. And this, uh, sort of came about because actually three years ago now, uh, Bruce Perrins, K6BP, I believe is his call sign, came up to me at Hamvention and said, well, we're doing this Codec 2 project because we're tired of like the AMBE chips and all the proprietary, uh, audio codecs and stuff that are going out over ham radio and for telephony and stuff like that. And this Dave Rowe guy has, uh, developed Codec 2 and he's, working on it as a a free platform, as a free alternative for those kind of things uh, coming up in the future. And he wanted me to talk about it. Now here, three years later, we finally have you on. So thanks very much for stopping by. 
Yeah, thanks. That's great. Yeah, Bruce has been a big inspiration for this project uh, for everyone. And it's uh, certainly been fun working with him and uh, a bunch of other guys in the open source and ham community. Yes, and uh, I, I apologize for taking so long. I'm apologizing to Bruce, who hopefully will listen to this, for taking so long to actually get in touch with you and talk to you about it. It is something we've talked about before. We had one of our listeners mention the Codec 2 project uh, and said we really should take a look at it. We took a really brief look at it. Uh, it was a little earlier on, almost uh, 20, 25 episodes back, I think. So that was quite a while. Uh, but things are moving along. I signed up for the Codec 2 mailing list, and I see lots of people doing lots of things with it. So uh, we have a lot to talk about. But first, let's talk about you. Uh, give us a little of your uh, your background coming up and you know what you think about open source and why you do it and and uh, sort of where yeah, your head's sure. at. Yeah, sure. Well, um, I, I guess I got involved in ham radio when I was about 12 or 13 years old, uh, which was about uh, in the late 70s. And uh, that's how I got my start. I fooled around on converted CBs and uh, then um, proper amateur rigs. Uh, then uh, the end of university and for postgraduate work, I got involved in speech compression. So um, it's kind of cool that uh, 30 years down the track, I can um, use some of what I learned in my education to help the hobby that got me started, ham radio. And uh, along the way, um, about six or seven years ago, I got deeply involved in the open source movement. Um, I was uh, an engineering manager at a satellite communications company, um, but decided to, to give up the executive life to uh, do open source development. And uh, since that time, I've been developing some open hardware and open software products, uh, which I talk about on the website, done a bit of work with VoIP in the developing world. And um, just over the last year or two, I've got pretty serious about Codec 2. And um, the good thing is that <clears throat> combined with the people in the ham community who've done some work in this area, uh, guys like Mel Whitten um, and uh, the existing digital voice community, we've managed to put together their ideas, some of my ideas, and we're, we're getting close to a couple of... Um, HF and VHF solutions for digital voice on ham radio that are completely open source. Well, that is a fantastic goal and, and a, not apparently a goal that a lot of the large ham radio manufacturers have. So we're glad that at least somebody's working on it. Uh, my co-host is Richard, who you heard at the beginning. Richard, say hello to David. Good day, David. Hello. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure he didn't get left out. Usually, when I'm uh, not gonna, I'm not gonna play that morning afternoon game. <laughs> <laughs> Usually when the interviews uh, happen, I tend to do a lot of the talking, so I'm going to try and let Richard get in here a little bit. Uh, there's there's another project you're working on called the uh, the Potato, was it? Um, oh, yeah. And that thing looks really interesting to me, so I want to talk to you a little bit about that as well. But we should, sure. probably, um, we should probably focus a little bit on Codec 2 first, just because that's the one that's ham radio and uh of sort of ham radio interest. I, I got to say, I've been looking everywhere for your call sign, and I can't find it. Oh, okay. It's on the top of the Codec 2 page, but it's a Victor Kilo 5 Delta Golf Romeo. Okay, great. Um, I don't know why I couldn't find that, but then I couldn't figure out the time in Adelaide either. So, uh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, we kind of get you know, where you come from, uh, from an educational and a work background kind of way, and the... Uh, so, so what really brought you to Codec 2 to want to start the Codec 2 project and to sort of give back to the open source uh, voice Codec community? Uh, well, I got approached by Bruce about the problem through uh, a guy called John Mark Valin, who's the author of the Speaks Codec, and more recently, um, uh, Silt and Opus, uh, one of the co-authors of Opus, which is a, 
a wideband codec goes down to about six kilobits per second. Bruce approached uh, uh, John Mark to see what he could do at bit rates beneath five kilobits a second because that's what we really need for um, digital voice over radio. Um, you can't use sort of a standard VoIP type codec for that. You need a lower bit rate. Um, so Bruce, Bruce approached me. Then about a week later, uh, sorry, about a year later, um, John Mark got involved in um, a new coding project and uh, got me really thinking about the um, the needs and the uh, philosophy around ham radio and open codecs. Um, and there was definitely a need for it because there's no other open source codec out there beneath five kilobits per second at, at this sort of quality level. Um, so there's an ethic that says, you know, in ham radio, you should better open it up, play with it, hack it. So we shouldn't be buying binary blobs of software and using those if we've got a, you know, an alternative to do something else. Um, and the other thing is I, I did, this codec was basically the output of my PhD research, which I finished up about 10 years ago. And, you know, when you do something for a PhD, it's highly theoretical. You try and invent a little bit of new knowledge in certain areas, but you don't often get a chance to polish it and get it out there in the real world. So this was a chance to, um, you know, help the hands, do something in the open source community, um, use skills that um, are fairly unique. There aren't too many people who know speech coding and have another go at some of the PhD work that I never quite finished. So it all sort of fell into place. And um, I guess I've been trying to clear the decks of other work so I can focus on this project uh, as it uh, takes a fair bit of time to do this sort of work. And it's very enjoyable for me. And at the moment, it's pretty much all I want to do. Um, the rest of the time, I do a few other jobs to uh, pay the bills as well. Okay, well, I, like I said, I just joined the mailing list for Codec 2, and I've watched people play around with it and sort of examine how the codec works and uh, do test encodings and experiment with how the output sounds and stuff like that. And when you talk about doing uh, very high voice compression and uh, the algorithms that are involved in trying to get the output to sound anything at all like the input when you're getting down below the small number of bits that you're actually uh, sending out in these packets, it can be very complicated. But is there any way you can sort of explain in a layman's terms how Codec 2 works? Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, if people are interested in how it works, there's a, quite a few talks I've done that have been videotaped now, and they're available. I've got links on the bottom of my Codec 2 page, and I've got quite a few um, PowerPoint and open office presentations. Um, but briefly, um, how it works is it's uh, called a sinusoidal codec, and what we do is in, instead of sending you know, samples of the speech waveform, we come up with a model of the speech. And we, 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 we look at a little chunk of speech and we extract model parameters and send those model parameters. Now, some of the model parameters are pretty familiar to um, hams. They might be um, a filter. They might, the parameters might describe a filter that models your voice at a certain instant of time. So just like you have high-pass filters and low-pass filters, um, in your radio, um, you can model your mouth, your vocal tract, using a, a bandpass filter with about 10 poles. So uh, instead of sending the actual speech waveform, we send some numbers across the channel that model um, your, the filter that your mouth and vocal tract describes. And that gets updated every 20 milliseconds or so. Um, another parameter we send is the pitch of your voice, which is the current pitch in hertz. Um, for example, as I'm talking at the moment, my pitch is probably hovering around 100 to 120 hertz. So we just send updates of the actual pitch of your voice at a certain instant in time. And that's used to uh, reconstruct the speech signal at the other end. Um, the sinusoidal model models speech as a sum of sinusoids. So it turns out that if you take um, a sinusoid at, at harmonics of your pitch frequency, so if my pitch is 100 hertz, if we take a harmonic at 100, 200, 300, 400 hertz, etc., and make that uh, each one of those the right amplitude, you can get something that sounds... Uh, pretty close to the original speech. 
and that turns out to be a quite an uh, efficient way of coding speech using this uh, sinusoidal model. So I guess that's it in a nutshell. Um, but uh, of course, the implementation is a little bit more technical than that, and there's a fair bit of DSP and uh, maths involved. And even that little bit of techno speak was pretty close to where I wasn't going to understand it, but I, I think I got the general <laughs> idea. <laughs> Do you see this as a direct competitor to things like uh, DSTAR and and other like closed source um, digital modes of communication uh, in the future? Is that is that where it's headed, or is there another purpose? I'm not really sure. I mean, my main interest is um, I just like fooling around with speech codecs, and it's a chance to help people out. Where it's actually going, and because it's open source, that's up to what people you know take and run with it. Um, because things like DSTAR are fairly entrenched in the VHF field, our first um, target is to get something out there in the HF field. So uh, we're combining it with a modem called uh, F FDM DV, Frequency Division Multiplex Digital Voice uh, modem for HF to try and get a, a, you know a solid, robust, open source uh, solution for HF digital voice. That's our first target. But there is also some work going on in a um, in the VHF uh, world. There's some some people connecting it up to GMSK modems and uh, trying to come up with some open source uh, uh, systems in the VHF world. As to competing, well, you know, I'm not really sure. It's more like um, it just gives you an alternative, and because it's open, there's a whole lot of clever things you can do that you can't do with closed source solutions. Um, for example, uh, let's say you want a, uh, a mode that will get voice through where you can't normally get single sideband through. Then you could slow the whole voice signal down to 300 bits a second or something, take 10 seconds to send uh, 5 seconds of speech, but you'd get the message through. Um, you can also do other clever things with the codec that you just can't do with a closed solution. So, you know, I'm happy to throw it out there and let people innovate, have fun as hands. That's what we do and come up with something new. So as far as the FDMDV modem, is that something that you're building or do you have interest from any hardware vendors in Codec 2 or, or anything else you're doing along in this space uh, to get this out where people can actually hook something up to a radio and use it? Yeah, well, what we're trying to come up with is a, initially is a laptop-based solution. So uh, it would combine Codec 2, the modem, and um, a nice GUI, so you'd get a waterfall picture on your uh, screen and you'd be able to tune it, and uh, uh, digital audio would start coming out to your laptop with a couple of leads going into a regular SSB transceiver. Um, the next step after that is we'd like to come up with something that's embedded, that sits on a little embedded microcontroller or, or a DSP chip that uh, people can then start combining in, um, uh, in their own little products or projects. Um, because it's all open source, uh, software, there's really nothing to stop any manufacturer including it in the firmware of their rig, um, especially some of the newer rigs that are heavily based on SDR. It would only use a fraction of the CPU horsepower they've got available, so you could add digital voice at no cost, effectively. Okay, well, I mean, that's a nice thought, I guess, but is there any actual interest in this point, or is it all theoretical interest? You mean from existing uh, rig manufacturers? Yeah, from anyone other than you and Bruce and the people who are sort of involved in the codec. I mean, is there <laughs> is there some avenue, do you think, like right now to get this into the market at all, or is it uh, not that far yet? Uh, well, at the moment, there isn't a application you can just download and start running. There is some developer-level stuff that you can um, sort of uh, string together on the Linux command line and send signals over a channel. We hope within the next three months to have a, um, a Windows and Linux uh, GUI program that you can download and start using, anyone with a laptop and an SSB transceiver. 
Um, I've also been in contact with a few um, HF radio manufacturers, both amateur and um, uh, commercial um, humanitarian type uh, radio manufacturers who are interested in this sort of technology and currently using proprietary uh, algorithms. Have you actually, I, I'm going to assume you have, but I'm going to ask you anyway, have you actually had a codec to communication via HF at this point? I haven't, no. <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing. The guy who works on the codec doesn't have a proper antenna system set up at the moment, and uh, I'm in the process of setting that up. Um, I spent, sent, tend to spend most of my days as a ham on a, a Linux workstation looking at signals on the screen uh, rather than uh, plugged into a radio. But some other people have. There have been people who have done um, uh, both VHF and HF communications um, over the system, just sort of simple one-way tests at this point. So does this work in a way similar to how people understand, say, PSK31, where you have a software decoder on both ends, hook it up to the audio signal coming out of a radio, going into whatever DSP you have, and uh, basically works like any other digital mode, except uh, what, right. what comes out is voice instead of text? That's right, exactly. So if you, if you wanted to use it over single sideband, you'd... Um, plug a cable into the microphone and speaker from your uh, PC or laptop into your SSB radio. Then you need a second sound card um, uh, to drive the headphones and speakers. Um, unlike a regular digital mode, you only need one sound card because the output's usually your uh, screen and the input's your keyboard. Uh, in this case, you need a second sound card or a US set of USB headset or USB speakers and microphone. Um, and then you have the DSP is all performed on your uh, PC at this point. And that also gives you sort of a GUI display, not unlike PSK31, that lets you know what's going on with the signal. And if uh, someone, say, like myself, actually wanted to do this, what kind of, uh, how long am I looking to spend in front of a computer screen getting this set up? At the moment, um, you need to be someone who's very comfortable with the Linux command line and, uh, you know, quite a bit of time of messing around to get it all running. Um, but within the next few months, uh, we're hoping to release a program called FDM DV2 that will be a, a simple sort of download, uh, open source download in a zip file for your Windows uh, or Linux PC. And then we'll be talking about, you know, minutes to set it up after that. Well, that sounds good. Uh, I'm uh, very comfortable with it myself. I've been in the Linux space for, well, since about 1994. So that's uh, 18 years now. So I could probably pull it together if I wanted to try it. Um, I'm suspecting that most of our listeners are not quite at that level, uh, but like you say, maybe in the next three to four months, uh, we'd have something that we could uh, announce where we could uh, let our listeners know that they could get this up and working if they wanted to, or at least uh, give it a go if they were yeah. brave. <laughs> For sure. Like like any project, you've got to start with the, the building blocks first, so we've sort of got... At the moment, separate programs for the codec, separate, separate programs for the modem, and we string them together through Unix pipes um, to uh, you know test a complete system. But most of that's sort of done on the command line at this point. But yeah, for sure, we'll certainly let you know once we have something released and have uh, got the system tuned and uh, ready for people to use. Well, that sounds great. I can't wait to, uh, to hear some kind of announcement about something that's a little more, uh, shall we say, user-friendly. Um, that's so right. That's what we're <laughs> pitching for, yep. I assume this codec is uh, strictly for voice. You know, anything outside of the voice will not be encoded properly. I know I tr I actually tried to, I used an earlier version where I actually tried to encode some music using the codec too, and you can't do it. What comes out is nothing like what went in. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I was able to uh, decode some voice, and I compared it to some of the other codecs like 
uh, U-Law and A-Law and um, the Speaks codec. And it actually, for for as small as the bite size is, it's actually uh, sounds very good. It's very understandable. So this is a it's a very nice codec from what I, what we've been able to test so far. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'd still like to improve the quality a bit, of course. Um, when you're the guy building it, it's never finished. Um, but it's getting, I think it is at the point where it's usable. Um, and, uh, you know, it's better than uh, anything else that's out there at, at the bitrate. Um, yeah, they won't, generally the lower bitrate codecs, they're model-based. So we, we use a model that is really good for human speech and optimized for human speech, um, but falls over for other signals like even a sine wave or DTMFs or, or music. So uh, that's the way we uh, get the maximum possible compression by making a whole bunch of assumptions that the signal is going to look a lot like speech and not like a general audio signal. Um, so uh, there's also other issues associated with that. You want to make sure it works okay. For instance, for background noise, um, someone in a car using it, uh, that's a non-speech signal. So you often have to take special steps to make sure that that doesn't sound out, come out sounding crazy or indeed breaks the codec, as, as happens with some codecs. Um, the whole thing will fall over and the speech will sound horrible. There's a little bit of background noise in it. But I've done a little bit of work in that area, and this codec performs reasonably well with background noise. Okay, so how, how many iterations of the codec are, have you gone through? I mean, what like version of codec 2 is it right now? Um, I guess I'd still say it's um, alpha. Um, haven't done a whole lot of uh, formal release, but some of the code back, date back, dates back to 1990 <laughs> <laughs> inside it. Um, and I got to a certain point that was around 8,000 bits a second at the end of my PhD in 1999. And uh, we got to about uh, 2,400 bits per second about two years ago, and then 1,400 bits per second um, uh, in November of last year. So that's one way you might want to look at uh, how the bit rate's been coming down. I know on a typical voice codec, at least one that doesn't use a lot of compression and doesn't cost any money, uh, is usually uh, 32 kilobit or 64 kilobit for an average VOIP conversation. So to do basically yeah. the same thing in just over one kilobit, uh, when you think about it, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's something like 40-something calls in a regular telephone call, you know, 64 kilobit per second uh, Mueller phone call. So it's a pretty high level of compression. Yeah, and to have it actually understandable when when it comes out is is pretty amazing because there there are a lot of complexities in the human voice but i understand that you you sort of remove the complexity by just making the assumption that it is a human voice and that the waveform will look a certain way and then you just kind of uh do minimal modulation to create a, a very narrow uh bandwidth um yes that's right although i do get caught sometimes not all human voices are, are um, the same and uh Occasionally, someone will try it and say, hey, this sounds really bad. What's going on? And um, sure enough, they've found some way to break the codec. But um, that's the great thing about open source. You get that feedback. And uh, so when I get something like that, I, I put it in a little directory that I call uh, you know, pathological samples. And I use those to further improve the codec down the line. Well, that's excellent. Now, I have been talking and Dave has been talking long enough so that Richard will have been able to write down some questions that he would like to ask. And hopefully anyone who is also in the chat room who might have a question for David can go ahead and ask those now. So, Richard, uh, what do you think about this and uh, what questions do you have for uh, the king of Codec 2? Well, actually, since we first heard about it, hang on just a second. Okay, let's try it again. We'll just put you back in your coffin. 
Well, ever since we heard about Kodak 2, I've been kind of excited because uh, at the time I first heard about it, I, it was my understanding that they were going to try and uh, try and get get it down to the point that it might replace the uh, VHF codecs we're having to deal with right now. Um, Dave, I'm, I don't know how, if you're familiar with Texas or not, but in the part of Texas I'm in, uh, it's uh, either D-Star or P-25. Those are your only two... Uh, Real choices on VHF for digital. Um, okay. Actually, actually, I, I the digital HF has got my attention. Also, uh, I always figured that'd be kind of hard. It'd be kind of hard to find somebody to talk to that way because most of these uh, digital codecs sound like a hiss if you're not decoding them right. <laughs> but uh, at one point, at least, uh, I heard a rumor that y'all were going to try and get it down small enough that you it could reside on a. Uh, on a board side by side with an AMBE chip, and uh, make these D-Star compatible radios also Codec Two compatible. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, it's certainly possible from a hardware point of view. Um, you could uh, get Codec Two running on um, a DSP chip, just like the AMBE codec does. Um, there isn't protocol issue. There's no nothing in D-Star. There's no bit that says alternate codec, so there's no easy way to swap out the codec. And if you put codec 2 data in it and people try to decode it with um, uh, the AMBE codec, they're going to hear R2-D2 noises at the other end um, and uh, they won't know what's going on. Uh, so there's a protocol problem there really rather than sort of uh, an implementation issue. Well, yeah, and you know the biggest uproar over here is the fact that uh, the uh, vocoder chip they're using for D-Star is closed. We can't get our hands on it. We can't work on it. We can't tinker with it. And, you know, amateur radio operators, we like to change stuff. Uh, same way with guys that run Linux on their computers. <laughs> uh, we always like to stick our fingers in stuff and change them. And that's, uh, that's another reason I was excited when I heard about the Codec 2. Uh, I've listened to, some, uh, listened to some samples on your website today. And uh, they sound a whole lot better than the ones I listened to. I guess it was a year ago or whenever it was when it first got brought up uh, where the show is concerned. Um, as far as all the compression stuff you're discussing, most of it is over my head. I'm not a sound guy. I'm a radio guy. And I'm not as much of a radio guy as most people think. <laughs> but, um, in fact, I think y'all were, weren't y'all testing it on, uh, on VOIP circuits at uh, one point? Yeah, there were a couple of hams that uh, had conversations over VRIP. They um, got the codec and used some pipe commands and netcat and managed to do it all on the command line and turn it into uh, a, a VoIP client. Yeah, projects like this are really tough. I know I know you've been chipping away at this for a long, long time. I know uh, while I'm sitting here right now looking at the, uh, what is it, Codec 2 Alpha Release and Voicing, uh, looks like you put it on October 18th of 2010. How many guys have you actually got uh, helping you work on this? Uh, I do most of the development myself of the core codec, but I have a few guys that I can ask DSP questions to. Um, guys like John Mark Valin from Speaks um, are pretty helpful just as a brains trust. Uh, then there's um, a, you know, a whole lot of guys who've submitted little patches, can work on stuff around the peripheral algorithm. Um, we've got um, Dave Witten doing uh, the actual GUI program, uh, tying the codec and the modem together, which is a regular sort of uh, Linux and Windows GUI programming, which is a little bit more of a common skill. Um, so, but, but I guess I do most of the core development myself. 
Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know one or two guys. Uh, uh, Dan, uh, guy developing D-Rats, he and I talk from time to time, and I know he's got uh, got a few people that help him out, but the uh, the heavy lifting on the program, and he, he pretty much does that himself. Well, um, I've also noticed that ARRL and, uh, and Tapper is apparently taking interest because you gave a speech at uh, the 2010 Digital Communication Conference. Is that right? 2011, yes. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It says 2010 on the website. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the fact that uh, uh, Tapper and uh, the ARRL are picking it up, that means that uh, eventually there's going to be probably some uh, pretty big interest in this codec as it comes along. I've been what I, I describe myself as a digital guy. I started doing packet about a month and a half after I got my uh, my novice license, my my entry level license, and uh, I I prefer to type it than say it more more and more often here lately. But uh, with some of the new digital technologies coming up, um, it's I may have to start talking more and more since there's probably a, apparently starting to be interest building here in the u.s uh or how's it been how is codec 2 uh being accepted in other places i mean uh, is there interest in it in other parts of the world yeah yeah look i get emails from all over the world and um there's also people interested from outside the hand community as well um there are some circuits for example um uh, maritime people on ships making phone calls that uh, bandwidth is still really expensive to um so I've got people who've sponsored some work on integrating Codec 2 with uh, software uh, VoIP products such as Asterix. Uh, free PBX guys picked it up very quickly. Um, so, yeah, interest from all over and, uh, and from ham communities all over the world too. We've got uh, people from uh, Europe, uh, the US. As you say, uh, Tapper have uh, really been very supportive to me and I've um, spoken there. And uh, we also had a booth at uh, Dayton recently and we got uh, you know, a lot of really positive comments and uh, people saying good things to us there, and that was very encouraging. So, yeah, we're all pretty excited. We're hoping, uh, you know, by the end of this year, anyone with a, a laptop and a, a sideband or even perhaps FM radio will be able to start getting involved in uh, open source digital voice. Yeah, I'm gonna have, I myself am going to have to get a little more up to speed on this because uh, I find myself interested in playing with it a bit. Let me go ahead and turn it back over to Rush because I know he's cool and refreshed in his home up there in Arkansas. Russ, do something. <laughs> I'll try and save you when I can. And actually, my air conditioner is not working all that well right now, so it's a little warm in here, but it's still uh, cooler than outside. And uh, summer here means it's winter there. So what, what's it like down in, in uh, Adelaide right now? Oh, it's about, um, I think it's about 15 today. And uh, uh, nice and sunny, though. We have a Mediterranean climate here, so the winters uh, are pretty mild. Ah, 15 Celsius. I could, I could deal with that right That's now. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I could certainly deal but with our that. Summers, our summers are a bit like Texas. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, doesn't surprise me at all. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. That's okay. No, I'm just saying we get the pretty hot summers uh, up to um, uh, the mid-40s, uh, 44 Celsius. So. 110, 115. Okay, well, I do want to try and wrap up on Codec 2 if uh, we have anything more to say about it because I happen to be a big uh, VOIP slash asterisk geek, and some of the things you do uh, on your website really interesting me. They may not interest anyone else, but I have to ask you about them, but I would like to uh, 
sort of uh, reach some sort of conclusion on Codec 2 before we move on. Is there anything else you can think to say about the Codec 2 project? Uh, anything you'd like to let our listeners know about it? Anything uh, that I may have skipped because I may have skipped it. So, <laughs> Oh, there was just one other comment I wanted to add. Um, I understand that the, the DSP work involved is pretty hard for most people to understand. and uh, So what I do try to do is, understand, uh, is explain it and uh, teach it. Um, to other people. So uh, if people are interested um, in learning even a little bit about the algorithms involved, um, I've been put doing some presentations over the last year or so. I've got PowerPoint slides, uh, YouTube videos, just break it down into some simpler steps for those who want to get an overview of how it works. Because I think learning and understanding is really important for ham radio. Um, that's just, just like having it open and being out able to hack it. Now, I'm not saying people about to get in there and start changing it in day one after seeing a, a simple explanation, but it'll at least go some of the way to explaining something that at the moment is um, you know, just a black box to most, most people, and I think we've got to do a little bit better than that. Okay, do you have somewhere like is uh, the Rotel.com site a place to go where if they wanted to find out where you might be speaking about this, uh, is that where they would yeah. go? That's right, uh, Rotel.com, if, and if you just click on the Codec 2 page, or, the, or Bruce Perens has also got a uh, Codec2.org site that also lists, um, he's got a, some explicit lists of material for people who want to do presentations. Um, these sort of videos could be you know, displayed at your local ham club. Um, some people have done that, uh, just put the video up on the screen as a presentation, and there's also PowerPoint slides and things. And uh, there's enough information there for people to do their own presentations if they want to, and, and I'm happy to uh, assist with that if people need to come up to speed. All right, that's excellent. I know uh, my former ham radio club would probably be really interested in in uh, doing a local presentation about uh, Codec Two. Uh, I know the lot of, I, a lot of the guys up there tend to be a little bit older, uh, sort of an earlier generation of ham radio operator. They're much more into the analog and CW and things like that, and uh, approaching modern things like digital modes, PSK, and uh, and digital voice uh, tend to be a little scary, you know, for the for those who are a little bit up there age wise. So it might be good for them to check this out. Yeah, another theme I'm doing, which you know matches the theme of your podcast, is the connection between ham radio and open source. Um, I I've talked on the codec at uh, the LinuxConf.au, the um, the regular Australasian uh, Linux conference. And uh, I've got a video of that that ties together a lot of ideas between Linux and ham radio and the codec. So that's, that will be of interest to people coming from the Linux side or the open source side, as well as the ham radio side. Yeah, I think when we approached Codec 2 the first time, when our listener mentioned it, we, we definitely talked about the fact that it's an open codec, that it's uh, free of the encumbrances of the things like the vocoder chip and the AMB and the stuff like that, especially the D-Star, which is all uh, ICOM proprietary and all of that, and how Codec 2 matches the open source philosophy, which is essentially what the ham radio philosophy is, because, I mean, the, the idea of sharing hardware and um, communication between amateurs has existed long before Linux, but the ideals are exactly the same, and uh, that's what yeah, we found Codec that's exactly the connection I've made too, and uh, that's pretty strong in a lot of my, my talks uh, and a strong motivator for me. I mean, you know, we used to publish the designs of everything we do, and uh, it should still be that way at every level of the system. It should be, but do you find that it's hard to, I mean, I know you sort of make a, 
you, you sort of made it your life and your lifestyle, but you still have a job, like you said, in order to pay the bills. So how do you, how do you address that for the people who like the, the concept, you know, like it conceptually, the free is in, is in speech, but, you know, can't sort of wrap their head around how do they live that way on their daily lives? Yeah, typically, I guess it's you know something like me. Uh, you know, you work out one way to pay the bills and then do this sort of thing um, in your own time. However, it's getting to the point now that I'm starting to get some contract work through Codec Two. People want little changes, and uh, and that's you know rapidly getting to the point where it could sustain me. All right. Well, I hope you're able to figure out how to monetize open source because that's a big question we've been dealing with lately, and uh, <laughs> some some folks here in the U.S. have had a problem with that. But if you figure out how to yeah. do it, you might want to publish. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's there's guys in South Africa is going to be in for a surprise too. <laughs> Actually, I saw something on your website about Mr. Shuttleworth. Um, what was that about? On my yeah, end? well, um, yes. he uh, sponsored the Village Telco project, which was uh, uh, made the mesh potato, which you uh, talked about earlier, which is a Wi-Fi router uh, with a telephone port on it. So it allows you to build uh, little telephone networks without a telco, just based on Wi-Fi. Okay, I definitely want to ask you about the mesh potato because I have been seriously interested in uh, mesh tech, mesh wireless technology. There are a few options out there, um, like the Meraki units and the open mesh units, but none of them come with built-in ATAs. I apologize for all of our listeners who have no interest whatsoever in VOIP, but this is one of my total things that I geek out about. So is the open mesh like all it looks like it is? Because if it is, I'm going to buy about a hundred of these things. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess what the village telco is, is a way to build a, a small telephone network, um, small to medium sized telephone network using these bo boxes called the mesh potato. Um, and what we actually did was about uh, four years ago, we got together and we wanted to come up with a way to help people in the developing world get telephones. Um, now, cell phones are pretty widespread in the developing world, but in some countries they're very expensive relative to your um, your income. They might cost you a phone call might cost you a couple of hours' wages, for example, in terms of your relative income. So we looked at doing something with Wi-Fi because it's unlicensed in most of the worlds, and we came up with this idea of combining an ATA with a, a mesh uh, Wi-Fi router. Um, such a product didn't exist, so we said, "Why don't we make one?" And uh, we got together with. Um, uh, the Shuttleworth Foundation, a guy called Steve Song, uh, who was a fellow there, uh, conceived the idea. Uh, we got together with a Chinese mass manufacturer called Atcom from Shenzhen, um, who'd been I had a history with with some other open hardware pr products, and we built our own router um, that has a telephone port, uh, runs OpenWIT, and runs uh, Batman uh, mesh routing software, and it's very similar to the open mesh devices in terms of the, the hardware and software but with a few tweaks to suit our application. And each one of these little routers runs Asterix, um, which talks to uh, uh, an FXS port, which you can plug your telephone into. And these little boxes sit up at, on top of the homes and villages at sort of rooftop TV antenna height, and they all connect to each other. So if you make a phone call down the road, your phone call gets relayed by uh, your neighbours. So it's a community telephone network, if you like. Uh, and uh, we've rolled out a few of these around the world to test the concept, and we've... Um, uh, they've worked pretty well. Still a few little problems that we're working on, um, and we'd like to get a lot more of these things out. But, uh, yeah, it's been a great project to work on. It's uh, taken me to some interesting places in the world, that's for sure. Can these 
mesh potato units be used uh, as a mesh access point for like mobile wireless devices, or do they only work as an endpoint uh, for an ATA plugged into an FXS like a landline telephone? Uh, no, they're just regular routers inside, so you can hook up with your um, uh, smartphone if you like via Wi-Fi. Run a SIP client on that. They can even be used for internet distribution. Um, the underlying transport still IP. So uh, essentially, we're building a, an IP backbone uh, over mesh Wi-Fi that we just happen to lay VoIP on top of. Okay. So does does each unit can it terminate to a DSL or cable connection, for example, or do you have to have a separate modem that you then hang a single mesh potato off of and then uh, you know distribute other mesh potatoes to other wireless points to create the mesh? Exactly. That's ten, how it tends to work. You have something called a super node that um, would plug into the internet connection. It's got an Ethernet port, and that might be DSL or it could be some other sort of, like could be a satellite link in the sort of places we go to. Um, and then that is that spreads the internet um, uh, from that super node on through the mesh network. Uh, you can even have multiple super nodes with if you've got more than one connection to the uh, uh, the internet available on the mesh. So each unit is the same. It can do anything depending on how you connect it up. I mean, there's no difference. Like a super node and a mesh node are actually the same piece of hardware. It's just a configuration difference. That's right. Okay, and uh, do you know what the, I mean, how are they powered? Are they PoE? Do they have a wall wart? Uh, what's, what's the... There's three options. Um, they, they come with a wall wart and a PoE injector. Um, they also have what we call POTL, power over telephone line, um, which is a power injector that you can use up uh, a four or six pair uh, telephone cable. Most of the time, um, these things are sitting up on the, you know, TV antenna height, and the only cable you've got going up there is the phone line uh, to the analog phone. So you don't really want to run another power cable or an Ethernet cable if you're not going to use it. So we can inject power through the telephone line as well. Oh, that's excellent. These these things really sound excellent, and I actually have a need for a mesh network and uh, SIP connectivity via um, wireless. So I am definitely going to pick some of these up. Sure. Yeah, well, if you're interested in the Village Telco and mesh potatoes, just get onto the... Um, the development list there for the Village Telco. It's a pretty vibrant community, about 200 developers, a lot of traffic, and a lot of people doing fine things to use technology to help people in the developing world. Okay. Well, that was a little bit of an aside, but honestly, I was really interested in this product because um, I, I can see it both in my personal and work life uh, as a very uh, useful piece of hardware, so I'm, I'm glad I found out a little bit about it. But our main focus was Codec 2, and I, I'd like to think we've addressed uh, all of the things that we need to address about it. I'm checking the chat room here to see if anybody has asked a question. Goofballs, wake up. Ask them questions. <laughs> yeah. Let's Except see. for what kind of beer I drink. <laughs> see some random stuff about GNU Radio and RTL-SDR. It'd be Foster's if I could find a regular supplier. <laughs> oh, you're sucking up so much. You don't drink Foster's. Yes, I do drink Foster's. Oh, Guinness a little harder to get down, but I do drink Foster's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's see. I don't want to necessarily keep you any longer, David, but uh, I do appreciate you coming by, and I think, we have really ferreted out some of the stuff we wanted to find out about Codec 2, and I've got a few of my VOIP questions answered. So unless 
we hear a question really fast from either the chat room or Richard, I think we're going to let you get on with your day since uh, yours is just beginning while ours is ending. Okay, well, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk. Y'all started talking wireless networks and stuff, and y'all flat lost me. <laughs> That's okay. I'm the I'm the dumb old fella. Russ is the genius. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I believe the genius is the third guy on this call. Oh, uh, Bill. <laughs> I don't think there's any bills on this call. Oh, uh, he's not. He's not <laughs> on the call. Never mind. No, he's not on the call, and we still don't pay him enough. All right, David. Well, I really appreciate it. I'm not seeing any other questions forthcoming. Um, and uh, do me a favor and say hi to Bruce for me. Uh, it's it's actually, oh, yeah. uh, I feel a little giddy every time I get to talk to him because there are few people who are as big in the Unix slash Linux slash open source community as Bruce Perrins is. And every time I get to talk to him, I get a little charge out of it. So <laughs> maybe, maybe he, you know, maybe I shouldn't. He's just a human being like the rest of us, but still he's, uh, he's up there. Okay, I will. Yeah, it certainly is uh, fun and interesting working with him. Thank you very much, guys. All right. Uh, we really appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. And everybody, that is, uh, let me go ahead and look at look at the thing up again just to make sure. Yeah, that's David Rowe, VK5DGR from Adelaide in South Australia. Really appreciate it, David. Have a good afternoon. Or, yeah, what's left of your day? What's, what's your, left of your tomorrow? I guess we're talking to you from the past. So <laughs> take yes, care. Wednesday afternoon. Yes. Yeah. Okay, bye. All right, bye now. <laughs> Thanks for coming by, Dave. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Wow. What do you think of that? Um, wow. (laughs) Still awake? I'm spokesless. Spokesless, huh? Spokesless. Well, I think we've got an episode there. I don't think we have to do anything else. Spokesla. Spokesla. Oh, I was, I was looking forward to hearing I'm doing fine by Lorenzo Lamas. Solamente tres palabras. Uh, we're going to have to wait for next time when we talk about the uh rtl sdr product so holy crap yeah actually i've only got i've only got a little over an hour on my recording but honestly i don't think we can top what we've already heard we can do a short one it'd be okay yeah i got a problem with a short one in the class in the uh clay in the classroom in the classroom holy crap we don't need no huh I tell you what, this this heat is sapping me. It's only been a hundred degrees for four days, five days now, and and I'm in a house that's got eighteen inches of insulation all the way around it, and we can't keep it cool in here. Well, I don't know what to tell you. It was a hundred and five <laughs> here yesterday. Yeah, but you're up in the mountains. Well, I wouldn't exactly call them mountains. And I'm, I'm sort of in between the mountains. I'm actually down in the valley, but well, that's, that's where the fog settles. It stays cool down there. No, it doesn't. I was in Oklahoma city. So we're still recording, right? Yeah, we're still recording. I was in Oklahoma city on a job. Uh, I was doing a remodel on a radio shack in Stillwater, Oklahoma. No, it wasn't Oklahoma city. It was Stillwater, Oklahoma. And the whole week I was there. It was 105 plus, and the humidity was, well, it was, it, there was so much water vapor in the air that if you'd have swung a refrigerator coil through around, there'd been ice cubes hitting the ground. You know, there was that much water in the air. Yeah. And it did that for a week. <laughs> and as soon as I get in the car to come home. Yeah. 
it comes a turd floater. And I drove in inch and a half hour, uh, inch and hour rain all the way until I got to the Texas state line and it went away. Then I hit a gator and nearly flipped my car. So there you go. Happy ending. Richard made it home safe. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Da, 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 da. Yes, you know, it's summertime in Texas because all the truck tires are starting to shed their winter coats <laughs> all over the highway. Yep. Yes, sir. Have you lost an exhaust system yet? Catalytic converter hit the ground? Anything like that? Uh, not in years. <laughs> no, ever since I started driving, uh, buying my cars from reputable places, I <laughs> haven't had that problem. Oh, I was talking about when the, uh, the, the skins from shed tires hit them. Oh, no, I'm real good at, um, I'm real good at spotting alligators. I uh, gotcha. Yeah. Gators. Um, no. Nope. Not a problem for me. Scares the hell out of the boy, though. (laughs) All right. Anybody got anything in the chat room? Yeah. Anything? Any questions, comments uh, before we wrap up? This one's going to be a little short, and I'm actually going to edit this one and put it out immediately since we recorded a week late. It's coming out tonight. Since we're not going to listen to Lorenzo Lamas. That's right. No Lorenzo Lamas. His dad was really cool. Oh, yeah. Fernando? Fernando Lamas. You never heard of Fernando Lamas? I don't know. Was he a Lamas? Oh, Lord. Your education is lacking, buddy. It's kind of yeah. like I said about that music. You know, most of that music you play is pretty good until they start that screeching. Yeah, well. Seriously. <clears throat> Anything in the chat room. And I finally figured out which Bruce it is. Okay, which Bruce is what? Bruce owes us a cigar from two Dayton's ago. Oh, was he the one who was going to buy us a uh, dinner or something and a cigar? Yes, and some Fosters and some Shinerbach beer. And which Bruce is that? V2GZI? Uh-huh. All right. So where's where's my cigar? He said if we send him an email address, he'll push it right through. It's supposed to be Cuban. Let me find it. Who was in it? Oh, Ina Gardner. Yeah, the fat woman on the TV, Ina Gartner. Garten, Garten something. Ina thingy. Gartner? Ina Gartner? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. She was a, a nuclear terrorist or some kind of crap. I'm looking for more stuff to make goofy comments about, but it ain't happening. Yeah, I am sorry, Russ. I didn't mean to zone out. I really didn't. Weather's killing me. Oh, that's and okay. They, I think we got a good episode. I really do. And they made me sell my big air conditioner. I thought you lived in a, in somebody else's house where I, aren't they supposed to provide the air conditioning? Yeah, but... When I left the other house, I, I took my big radio room air conditioner, and then they made me sell it. You mean to tell me you live in a house in Texas that doesn't have central air? Yeah, it's got central air. Oh, okay. All right. But I'm telling you, it's got 18 inches of insulation all the way around. Every wall, every ceiling, ever, ever, even the dogs have insulation. But <laughs> it, it's so damp and hot and everything else down here, we can't get it down below 78 degrees. Which means I sit back here with the computers with the door shut, sweating. And I can't run the fan because you bitch about the noise. Uh, Well, yeah, beach, beach, beach. Well, I got got my fan on high and you can't hear it, can you? Is that what it was? No, because you can't hear it. I have a good noise gate. Well, actually, this one's pretty good too, but if I turn it up too high, I have to eat the microphone. I don't know. I'll try running the fan in here next time. We'll see what happens. Yeah, you need to, or either that, or hopefully in two weeks, it won't be 105 degrees. So, oh, buddy, we hit a hundred degrees Friday. 
and it will be a hundred plus until sometime in September. Wine, 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 bitch, bitch, moan, moan. Hey, I didn't choose to be here. <laughs> I didn't choose to be here. All right. You ready to wrap this up? Uh, maybe. All right. I'm going to start the music. Just let me know when you're ready. Holy crap. Okay. Well, that was a great interview with Dave, uh, Dave down in Adelaide, Australia, and we're going to keep up on Kodak too. We'll keep y'all posted on what's going on. Cause he's promised to keep us posted. Okay. Well, we pretty much wrapped it up. This has been a short one and, um, Russ is going to get scared about the dual personality thing, but that's okay. It's going to be all right. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, you can contact me at kb5jbv at gmail.com kb5jbv at gmail.com or you can contact me on twitter facebook uh someplace somewhere somehow i'm good in the call book and all that good noise okay so uh y'all y'all uh, let us know what's going on and uh, uh let me turn it over to russ and get him to give you his information take it away russ all right, guys, thanks for listening to episode number 85 of Linux in the Ham Shack. You can contact both of us at info at lhspodcast.info. The website, of course, is at lhspodcast.info. Uh, make sure to sign up for our mailing list. Make sure to become an ambassador. Do all kinds of good stuff. You can contact me also on the social media networks, Twitter, Facebook, Google+, etc., etc., I'm J.R. Woodman at all of those places. I'm also K5TUX at 73s.org. Give us a call on the voice line at 1909-547-7469. That's 1909-LHS-SHOW. And join us again in a couple of weeks when we have episode number 86. And we're going to talk about something just as interesting as our interview today. So this is uh, K5TUX, Russ, from Between the Peaks in the Booby Mountains of North Central Arkansas. I'm going to send it back down to the cardboard box next to the Trinity River in North Texas, where Richard's going to sign off by saying, I just want everybody to remember that a Bach is a beer that has a little bit of honey added to help in fermentation. We'll see y'all next time. <laughs>